All right, Jabosai, good morning. Let us, let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for today's Shi'ar, Tamatora sponsors for the month of Tishrei, Shindin Avram Kalman for dedicating all the Shi'ar and this month in memory of their parents, Jack Bennett, for dedicating the Shi'urim this month in memory of Givati Brigade First Sergeant Nikolai Rappaport, Dr. Linda Weinberg for dedicating the Shi'urim this month in memory of her husband, Dr. Paul Weinberg, Perez, Moshe Ben Avraham David. Our week of learning sponsors, Avron, Sean, and Judah Elbaum, in the merit of a Shlimer for Ami Ben Chayo. We hope that on the day of learning sponsorship, Doug and Gail Stenger, in commemoration of the yard site of Gail's beloved mother, from Bella Bas Beryl Leib Vichnito. We hope that on the merit of our talent, the Nishamas will have an Aliyah, the families in Nechama, and all those who require a Rafua should have one together with Kol Chol Yisrael. But with that, let us begin. So let's begin. Today's daf is Lamed Dalad, a very exciting daf. Ahead of us today, we are picking up on Lamed Gimel Amadeis 33b, and we are picking up on the bottom of the daf, Umagavev Min HaChotzer, which is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10 lines up from the bottom. Umagavev Min HaChotzer. Remember again, the first opinion of the Mishnah said that Allah Chalamaisa, you can go as Rabbi Eliezer, that you could collect splinters of wood from the Chotzer. And to go ahead and, because anything that's in the chatzar is considered to go ahead, I should say, his lashon is, You can gather wood from the chatzar and use that wood to kindle a fire, because anything that is inside of the chatzar, by definition, is considered to be muchon. So remember again, the, the chachamim disagreed. The chachamim said, Remember again, I was about yesterday's stuff. The chachamim disagreed on two points. They disagreed on the toothpick point, right? And they disagreed on the concept that anything that's in the chatzar is automatically muchan. They held that you could gather whatever wood is right in front of you, right? But, and you could use it for kindling, not for toothpicks. But just because it's in the chatzar doesn't make it muchan. So it says the Gimar, let's analyze. Tan Rabbanon, Megavev mina chatzar umatik, shekhomashe bechatzar muchan hu, obilvad shalo yaaset siburin siburin. Gemara calls another b'raisam. And the b'raisam says, you can gather up whatever is inside of the chatzar and kindle it for anything that is inside of the chatzar is considered to be muchan. As long as what? You don't make it into piles. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Shivan Mati, Rabbi Shivan says, says you can. So what's the machlokis? Interestingly enough, the the machlokis over here seems to be not in about gathering wood from the chatzar, but rather about making piles out of that wood. So what's the nature of the machlokis? So the first opinion holds. The problem with gathering is whenever you gather something, it looks like you're gathering it for long-term use, right? So a person who sees me gathering wood, even though, again, it's in my chatzar, they may erroneously think that I am going out and gathering wood for today, for tomorrow, for the next day. And, of course, then it looks like a problem of hachana. The Gemara says, Umar savar kideroso muchachas alov. The other opinion says, no, people see that I have a pot of food that's up. The fact that I have the pot of food up, that ultimately indicates, that's a clear indication that I'm gathering the food, the wood, for what purpose? For the purpose of kindling a fire in order to cook for that day of Yom Tov. Good. But we'll say just a side machlokas. Now again, we're going to see 
that Allah Chalamaisa, the truth is, we reject the view of Rabbi Ali Ezer in general and accept the view of the Chachamim in this situation. That Allah Chalamaisa, you can go ahead and collect wood immediately from in front of you. But remember, we also paskin that wood could only be used for Hadlaka. Right? We spoke about this on Shabbos and yesterday that wood could really only be gathered for the purposes of Hadlaka. The toothpick issue goes back to the end of yesterday's daf where we saw the Shulchan Aruch, which spoke about that the only thing pretty much you can make a toothpick out of again is what? Remember? The Luchazara? Soft animal food, right? Anything that's soft and ultimately, again, cannot be made into a kli. Good. Says the Yimar. Let's go right there. So, Remember again, the Mishnah said that you cannot create fire on Yamtiv. My timer, what's the reason? Mishum the Kamolid Biyamtiv. Ultimately, again, because it's a problem of Nolad. So, we'll see, we reference this. This is where Rashi, that's why Rashi in the Mishnah quoted this. Right? It's a problem ultimately of creating something on Yamtiv, the prohibition or the Isser of Nolad. Again, as I pointed out in yesterday's year, this in and of itself is a Machlokes Rishonim. Is it Nolad? Is it Machshire Ochal Nafesh? Good. Point over here is you can't create new fire on Yamtiv. You also can't go ahead. I will say this was the end of the Mishnah. You can't fire up tiles. Malabnin literally means you can't cause, you can't go ahead and make a, um, make a tile, a tile hot on Yamtiv. So my COVID, what's wrong with making a tile hot? I will say, just remember again, the way this was introduced in the, in the Mishnah is the Mishnah said, uh, So Mishnah said, you can't go ahead and create fire. Then the Mishnah discussed all the different ways you, you, one could potentially create fire. And then the last part of the Mishnah was, You cannot go ahead and heat up a tile. Now, why would you be heating up a tile? To roast something on it. So we'll say this goes back. This apparently was also especially useful for fish. We've already seen that the problem with going ahead and roasting fish on a grill, on a grill-like item was what? Was that the fish gets burned, right? So it seems to be what we could offer, which you could also, if you heat up a tile, so the heat is evenly dispersed along so that you could roast things on the tile. So the Mishnah said, you can't heat up a tile in order to roast on it on Yamtiv. Why can't I heat up a tile? My COVID. Oh, interesting. What are we talking about over here? New tiles. New tiles. Now, what's the chap with the new tile? Mipnei shitzarech, tap of lam and dalid. Mipnei shitzarech, lebadkan. As well, say, here's what's interesting. Whenever you have a new tile, whenever you have a new tile, so part of the shayla is, will the tile hold up to heat? Right, so there's a heat test. There's a heat test. Look at Rashi. First Rashi down down on Dalif. Tzarech lebatkon im yuchlu lekabel libuna hilchach biyom tovlo del mapaki vishtachach de tarsh lo tzarech. Shabbos say after you go ahead and create the tile, part of the way that you go ahead and you test the tile out is to go ahead and expose it to fire. Now sometimes the tile will crack. So what's the? This is actually interesting. What's the problem with using it on Yom Tiv? The problem with using it on Yom Tiv is if you. See, here's what's interesting. 
there's nothing inherently wrong with heating up a tile. Right? So if, let's say if you have an old tile that you've been using for years for cooking, you could heat that up and cook on it. The Gemara is saying the Mishnah, when it says you can't heat up a tile, is talking about a new tile. You've never heated it up before. What's the concern? The concern is you're going to heat it up. What's going to happen? It's going to happen. It cracks. Right? If it cracks and it breaks, it turns out that this was tircha for no reason. Right? That this was tircha, this was, this was effort expended on yamtiv for no reason. And again, we try to avoid that whenever possible. Va'amrila, others say, Others say the reason you can't fire up a tile is why? Because you have to harden it. Look at Rashi for just a moment. Second opinion says that no, no, the problem with heating up a brand new tile will say is what? Tikkun mana or makebepatish. Right? Essentially, this is, you know, again, remember the tiles were made out of, out of earthenware. So, like any earthenware object, the final step in its production is exposing it to intense heat. To, to, to harden it. So both say, see, here's what's interesting. So everyone is agreeing that when the Mishnah says, you cannot go ahead and heat up a tile, we're talking about new tiles. The Shaila is, what are we concerned about? First opinion says, Sarach Lebadgan, because you, the first opinion says, we're concerned that it's going to crack. And if it ends up cracking, it turns out that you've engaged in unnecessary tircha. Second opinion says, Sarach Lechasman, you have to harden it. And therefore, again, it's like a Makkeh Bepatish Tikkun Kli type of issue. So we'll say, listen to this. This is a fascinating case. So the Gemara says, based on this, Tanan Hasa, we learned, the Gemara says, Darsa Listen to this. You have a bird. You have a bird, a kosher bird. And you trampled the bird accidentally. Or you knocked the bird into the, into the wall in a significant way. Or bless you, or an animal trampled the bird. But the bird is still alive. The bird is still alive. So the bird has been injured in a very significant, or at least it has suffered an injury that is quite significant. But the bird is still alive. Mefarchasas is still alive. And the bird lives for 24 hours. And then after 24 hours, v'shachta, you shecht the bird. You shecht the bird. What's the halacha? Ksheira. Ultimately, again, the bird is kosher. The bird is kosher. Okay. Now, I'm going to say, so now remember, what's happening in this case over here? What's happening is we see the bird has suffered an injury where there's a possibility that what's happened to the bird? It's a trefa. It's a trefa. It suffered some type of injury from which, from which will die. So the, Gemara says, so the first thing the Gemara says, wait 24 hours. As long as it lives 24 hours and then you perform a proper shechita, the bird is kosher. Now, part of qualification. No, no, no. It's not enough just to shecht it after 24 hours. But what? After you shecht it, you have to do an internal examination of the animal to make sure that the animal is not a trefa. Look at Rashi for just a moment. Right across. Even though the bird lived... For 24 hours, right? Even though it passed the 24-hour mark, it still requires an examination after it dies. After it's after it's shechted, sorry. Shema nishtabrurov tzalosal. 
Omnishpura Hashedra, Vinifsaka Hutshala, O Echad Misha Mini Trefis, Vishias Dineis Lais Itzterich, Dilo Shasa, Afapi Shabodka, Velo Matsa Simon Trefus, Trefa, Shazu Achas Rose. So the idea over here is as follows. The Gemara now is saying, Rabbi Lazar says, you need both things. You need the bird to live past the 24-hour threshold because if the animal were to die within 24 hours of the injury, that would be indicative that the injuries rendered it a trefa. But it's not just enough to pass the 24-hour threshold. What else do you need? You need to go ahead and do an internal examination of the animal afterwards to check. Rashi goes through all the different possible trefas, the spinal cord, whatever, a whole bunch of different things. So you have to do the internal examination afterwards as well. Good. What does this have to do with us? The boss said, listen to this. Listen to this. Let's say you have this bird that suffered this traumatic injury. And now let's say the 24 hours end. This happened on Erev Yomtiv. 24 hours end on Yomtiv itself. Can you go ahead and shecht this bird on Yomtiv? That's the Shaila. So the Gemara says, and what is the shaluk? I'll show you just a moment. We'll say so essentially because what's the shaila? What's the concern? The concern is okay. So we know it, it, it passed the twenty-four hours, but now I'm going to shecht it. And what do I have to be concerned about? That what? Maybe I'm going to look inside and see a trefa. And therefore, it turns out that what? That what? That I did an unnecessary act of shechita on yamtiv. So I've performed a malacha, and it turns out that it was not for Ocham Nafesh. Granted, it'll be a shogeg, but, but Lamaisa, am I allowed to shecht this bird on Yom Tov or not? To which the Gemara says, essentially, it's a shy love, mi mechaskinon reusa biyamtiv, oh lo. So we'll say, so the shayla is, do we assume that this animal essentially no longer has a cheskas kashrus or not? So it passed the 24 hour mark. It suffered this traumatic injury. Am I allowed to shecht it on Yom Tov? Look at Rashi. Mimachaskinan reusa begava mishum chashash isramalacha biyamtiv dilma mishtachach trefa venimza shochta shlolitzorech. So, so we'll say. So here's what's interesting. So the shaila is: Do we say that essentially this animal no longer has a, a real chaskas kashrus, and therefore I shouldn't shecht it on Yom Tov because maybe I'll do an act of shechita. It turns out I can't eat it. I can't eat it. And Talacha Maisa have done Malacha for no reason. Now Rashi anticipates our question. I can't you say this by any animal? Right? Can't you say, why don't you say this? again? I will say, whenever you shecht an animal, there's always the possibility that's what? That's what? It could be a trefa. So Rashi says over here something very interesting. Rashi says, Bishlama Shar Behemus, Afagav Demachmarinon Anafshe, Ubadkinon, Mihu Samchinon Aruba, Verov Behemus Enon Trefas. So we'll say, here's what's interesting. What happens, what happens, if you went ahead and you shechted an animal and you never checked it for trefas? What's the Ex post facto. Have you eaten non-kosher animals? No. no, we have a rove, right? Rove animals are not trefas, right? And therefore, again, now, we check regardless, right? We go ahead and we, we check every animal to make sure that it doesn't have trefas, but that's an extra chumrah that we do. Technically speaking, you could rely on the fact that rov behemus are ksherus. So that's what allows us, by the way, to shecht on yomtiv, right? Because after all, why don't you have to be concerned that all the time, maybe I'm going to shecht, the animal's going to be a trefa. It turns out I did a maise shechita, and it was for no purpose, rov, 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 rov. 
The problem in the bird case is what? What's the problem in our bird case? Is we've seen the animal has suffered a traumatic injury. Now, granted, the good news is it passed the first threshold, which is what? Which is what? 24 hours. But still, but still, the shayla is, am I allowed to shak this bird on Yamtiv? To which the Gemara says, listen to this. Tanina, we learned this in the Mishnah. Ein malavnin es harafim The truth is, we can answer this from our Mishnah. What did the Mishnah say? You cannot go ahead and fire up or expose a brand new tile to heat. Vavinan ba, my kavit. And we said, why can't you do this? So, so ultimately, what does the Mishnah say? The Mishnah said you cannot expose a brand new tile to heat on Yom Tiv. Why not? Why not? What are we concerned about? Because maybe it's going to break. So we'll say, what do you see from here? You see from here that where there is a real concern about doing malacha for no purpose, we abstain. So you can't fire up, you can't heat up that brand new tile because it'll break. Based on this, you shouldn't be able to shech the bird because there's a real possibility that the bird is a treifa. Amrali said to him, no, no, no. Anan mitnei shetarach lechasman masanila. No, no, we, have, we hold the second girsa. Our second girsa is, no, the reason you can't fire up the kli, uh, the, the, the reason you can't heat up the brand new tile is why? Because that's not kibipatish. Right, that's the final. That's the final. That's the final stage of production, or the finishing touch of the tile to harden the tile. But therefore, I will say, according to that girsa, you'd be permitted to go ahead and shech the bird. So I will say, say, interestingly enough, depending on which girsa you hold by the tile, could have an impact on the bird case. If you hold that you can't heat up the tile because it'll break, that tells you that any time that there's a real chashash that your action is going to yield no productive result on Yom Tiv, don't do it. So don't heat up the tile, don't shecht the, don't shecht the injured bird, but if you hold that the issue of the tile is makkebipatish, then it could very well be that once the bird passes its 24-hour threshold, then what? Then what? It has its cheskas kashros, and therefore you should be able to shecht it. So I'll say, the, the Gemara ends there. That's it. So I'll say, just, I, I'm just saying in this case, salach what do we do about this bird? It's important to know. So also listen to this. This is in Simen Tav Tzadik Ches, Sif Ches. So the Shulchanach writes as follows. Of Shenidras Baraglayim. You have a bird that was trampled. And therefore, So you have to have, there's a real chashash that maybe the bird is a treifa. So we'll say, so in general, Hilchos Shchit or Hilchos Treifas is, Whenever an animal has suffered a traumatic injury, you cannot shecht it within 24 hours. You, ha- you have to wait to see if it passes the 24-hour window. So the Gemara says, Mutter Incredible. So as long as the animal passed its 24-hour threshold, you are permitted to go ahead and shecht that animal on yamtiv. And ultimately, again, we are not choshesh that maybe the animal is a trefa. So once it passed the 24-hour threshold, you can go. Now, both sides. Now, could it be a trefa? Yeah. Absolutely. In other words, remember, you're going to check it internally afterwards, and it's possible that it'll be a trefa. But what the Shulchan Aruch is saying is once it passed the 24-hour threshold, Allah Maisa. Its cheska's kashrus has been restored. And the Mishnah Bura says, "V'lo chayshinon da'afal gav d'tzarech pediga mikol makom kevan shahayelamet chila chazaka de kashrus." Once it, so you both say, the bird had its cheska's kashrus. 
the rov behemos well was kshera saying mutter shokto the ma'amidin also becheskes kasha. So also listen to halachically what happens over here. The bird prior to the incident, right? Prior to the incident, what was its chazaka? Cheskes kashos. Endures, right? It endures the traumatic incident. What happens? Loses the cheskes kashos. How long does it have to wait to regain it? 24 hours. And then what happens after, what does that look like? What happens after 24 hours? It's cheskes kashos is fully restored. Is fully restored. And halach lamaisa, you could shecht it Which I will say, by the way, if you think about it, from a Hilchos Shiva perspective, is so powerful as well. See, I will say, we all start life with the Cheskes Kashros. Everyone starts life with the Cheskes Kashros. Then what happens? See, the difference in life is, it's not that someone's trampling upon me. Usually, I trample upon myself. Right? I take my beautiful neshama, unfortunately, and as a result of negative actions, I trample upon my neshama. So say, what happens after a person tramples on their neshama, traumatic incident, what do you need? What do you need? A new day. A new day. 24 hours, right? I need, I need a restart. It doesn't take a lifetime to restart, but it takes some time to restart. Day ends, I need a new day. Every single new day brings with it the opportunity to restore my cheskas kashros. And all I need to do is make it a good day. And if I make it a good day, me'es la'es, 24 hours, you know what you could do within one day, within 24 hours? You could fundamentally restore your cheskas kashros in its entirety. Now, does that mean everything is fixed and everything is fine? Maybe yes, maybe no. Like the bird. You never know until you introspect. You never know until you look inside. But lamaisa, lamaisa, we sometimes think that we're damaged goods and it's going to take a lifetime to repair all of the damage. Sometimes all you need is to take advantage of the new day. The Me'is lays 24 hours, and all it takes is one good day to restore your cheskas kashos. Incredible Gemara. So we'll say, let's go back to this. That's Allah by the bird. So it says the Gemara, Tanya, Echad Mevius, we'll say another great case. Echad Mevius Ha'ar, Ve'echad Mevius Ha'etzim. So we'll listen to this case. This is a whole Chavra, you know, a Chavra that does Molacha together. I don't know what else, but then the dance says, yeah, stays together, whatever, and it gets punished together. So the Gemara says, Tanya, the Bryce says, Echad maybe SR. One guy brought the fire. No, we're going to see, by the way, what this means actually is one guy brings the glowing coal. You're going to see why this is important. He brings the fire. Vechad maybe SR eats him. The other guy brought the wood. Vechad shofes SR. The other guy puts the pot on the fire. Vechad maybe SMI. The other guy brings the water. Vechad nos in the soho, tavlin. The other guy puts the spices in it. Vechad magis. And, and one stirs. We'll say, it's happening on Shabbos. If they all do this, kulan chayavin. They're all chayiv. They're all chayiv. Because they've all done malacha. They've all done malacha. Vatanya, but we learned, acharon chayiv kulan p'turin. I, but we learned, it's only the last guy who's chayiv. And everyone else is potter. Lokash, that's not a contradiction. Oh, <laughs> listen to this. If the first thing they brought was fire, then everyone is chayiv, because everyone's done a ma'isa malacha. If the last thing they brought was fire, then what? The only guy who did something was the guy who brought the fire. So just when we run through that list, the malachos are involved over here is the guy who brought the fire, what did he do? So remember, the Rashi points out he's bringing a coal. What happens when you carry a coal, Rabosai? I mean, I don't know, but Rashi tells us, right? When you go and you carry a coal, just the movement fans the coal. That's Havara. That's kindling. 
The guy who brings the wood, he's putting the wood on the fire, also Havara. The guy who puts the pot on the fire, we're not sure what he's doing. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So the guy who goes out and brings the water, Bishel. Spices, Bishel. Stirring, Bishel. Right? Cooking. Good. Shabbos says, the Gemara says as follows. Bishlam akulu ka'avdi ma'isa. I understand the malacha that all of these guys did. Ela shofei says, ha'kadera ma'ikavid. What I don't understand is the guy who puts the empty pot on the fire, because that's, if you notice the progression over here, he puts the empty pot on the fire. What did he do? Right? What did he do? So the Gemara says, Ah, what are we talking about over here? A brand new earthenware pot. Ah, so a brand new earthenware pot. So we'll say, again, what's the final stage of production with any earthenware item? Exposing it to intense heat. So therefore, when he puts the brand new earthenware pot, that's make bepatish, he's going to be higher for that on Shabbos. And that's the tie into the sogya. Another interesting case. Tanur v'kiraim chadoshim. Let's say if you have a brand new stove or oven. They are like any other utensil which could be moved inside of a chadzer. Now, now, what does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. It's the first of the widest lines of Rashi. If you have a stove or an oven that's sitting in the chadzer, they're, of course, on one hand, they're a klisha malachto le'iser, because they're used for cooking. But interestingly enough, they have a secondary hetar purpose. What's the secondary hetar purpose? You can use it as a storage area. So it's actually mamshik a klisha malachto le'iser. So therefore, again, you could use it on, on Shabbos, sarkufa mokomo. Good. Sigmar says, aval in sachin osan shemen, but you can't smear it with oil. Vein tashno sobamatlis, you can't shine it with a cloth. And I've also interesting enough, same idea. If it, you, if it was heated up, you can't pour cold water on it because this solidifies the utensil. So I'll say, so the idea over here is, interestingly enough, you could use an empty stove or oven on Shabbos for storage purposes. It's a klisha malach to What you can't do is smear it with oil or polish it up with with a cloth, because ultimately, again, I will say, these are considered to be makyabe patish actions. Same idea with pouring cold water over it, right? It's the same idea. Well, how would you go ahead and finish the production of a stove or an oven? After you heated it up, you cool it down. Right? So you pour the pour, so you can't do that on Shabbos. Good. But say, again, the only reason all these cases are being brought up is because they all tie back to what? To the tile case. Right? Remember, again, they all tie back to this idea of pouring cold water, or I should say, heating up the tile, as a final stage of production. Tan Rabbanon, what's another interesting case? Molgin Harosh Ves Haraglaim. So we'll say, this is talking about now, you shechted an animal, and remember again, you want to go ahead and prepare the head, or you want to prepare the feet, but you want to get the hair off the head and the feet. So how do you do that? So Rashi says over here, Molgin means you could immerse the head or the feet in boiling water. Apparently this removes the hair. Molgin Rosh Haraglaim, you could also go ahead and scald them in water. I'm sorry, um, you could also um, singe them in fire. What you can't do is, you can't go ahead and smear it with plaster. This plaster around, she says, was used like as a depilatory for hair removal. So you can't go ahead and smear it in plaster. You can't go ahead and use earth. 
and you can't use sid, also another type of plaster. Rashi says over here, Vein Toflin of some besid lahasir saran shahari derech avdonin. They both say this is very interesting. So here's what's interesting you, you could remove the hair from the animal, right? You could put it in boiling water, right? You could scald it, you could singe it, but you can't smear it, right? With plaster, with earth. Why not, says Rashi? Because that's the way tanners removed hair from a hide. And that looks like you're engaging in an act of tanning. And ultimately, again, that is going to be usr. Vein goes is in also misparaim. You also can't go ahead and cut off the hair with scissors. Rashi says over here, demechsi kitzarach l'seyar. Because it looks like you're trying to salvage the hair. Vein goes along those same lines. Vein goes is in as hayarak petispora shalo. So also it's very interesting. You can't go ahead and cut off the extra leaves of vegetables with vegetable scissors. They used to have vegetable scissors. Or maybe they still have vegetable scissors. What are vegetable scissors used for? I will say now, primarily what they're used for is to actually detach the vegetable from the ground. So the, I guess shears, I guess like vegetable shears. So you can't use the shears. Now I will say, you can't use the shears to cut off like the dead leaves or excess growth from the vegetables. Why not? Because the concern is if you use those shears on Yantib, what does it look like? What does it look like? You detached the vegetable from the ground on Now, you're not allowed to detach vegetables from the ground on Yantib. The malacha of kotzer is a malacha that you cannot do on Yantib, even for ochal nafesh purposes. There's a whole discussion exactly why that is, either because it could have been done by far Yantib with the same results, or because katsira is a large-scale malacha. And in general, large-scale malachas are not permitted on yamtiv itself. So halacha the Mishnah says, you want, to, you want to cut off some of the excess leaves, that's fine, but you cannot go ahead and use, use the vegetable shears. So the Gemara says, kundus akavios. So Rabbi said, what we can do is, you could prepare kundus and akavios. What are kundus and akavios? Rashi says, Gemara doesn't explain what type of vegetables these are, but these are apparently vegetables which require a very significant preparation process. Okay? So the Gemara says, And you could go ahead and use a furni oven. Rashi says over here that a furni oven is A furni is a large oven. So as opposed to a tanur, which is a smaller oven, right? The forni is a... So what's the idea over here? When would you use the forni if you were having a lot of company? So even though it looks like you're doing a lot of cooking, because you need it, ultimately it's permitted. You could warm up water in the antiqui. But you cannot go ahead and use the new forni oven, because ultimately, again, we are concerned that what? That it may come to go ahead and break. Okay, good about say just a list of halachos. Beautiful. So what's the interesting case? You cannot go ahead and fan a fire with bellows. Right, you know, bellows, it's the air thing. Right, the air thing. You cannot go ahead and fan a fire. Now, boss, now what's the problem with that? Look at Rashi. Because interestingly enough, most people do not use bellows in their own home. Usually, where do you find the use of bellows? By an uman, right, in some type of workplace. Boss, you see this incredible 
line that Chazal are trying to straddle. That on one hand, the Torah allows Ochal Nefesh, but yet to be so careful to not allow Ochal Nefesh to resemble any type of commercial activity. So Chazal says, so again, you're cooking. Is there a problem to fan your fire when you're cooking? Is there a problem to fan the fire? No. No problem to fan the fire. But yet, the commission says, but don't fan the fire in a way that looks like you're engaging in commercial activity. The use of the bellows. The Gemara says, You could blow, right? You could, you could fan it with a tube. Okay? If a spit broke, you can't fix it on Yom Tiv. Rashi says over here, I'm sorry. So I'll go to the second approach. The Rashi says it could be we're talking about a spit that was broken on Erev Yom Tev, could have been fixed on Erev Yom Tev already, but you failed to do so. Also, you can't sharpen a spit on Yom Tev. You cannot go ahead and split a reed open in order to roast on it. So we'll say this goes back to something we learned before. Rashi points out over here, This was back to the fish case. Right? I don't want to fish, I don't want to roast the fish on a grill because the fish will get burned. So what would you do? You would take either you would take a broken piece of pottery or a brit or split open a reed put the fish on the reed, put the reed on the fire, and therefore the fish cooks evenly, right? So the idea is opening up a reed, splitting open a reed, and making a kli is problematic. It's osa kli. It's osa kli. You're making a kli on yom tiv. Good. But I will say you could take, let's say, a nut wrapped up, or a bunch of nuts wrapped up in a cloth, and crack it like that. And we are not concerned that you may come to go ahead and tear the cloth. So we'll say with this, if you can imagine for just a moment, you take a bunch of nuts, you wrap them up like in a, in a cloth, like, imagine like a cloth napkin or a, or, a, or a handkerchief, and you want to smash it down and crack the nuts like that. So the Gemara says, you're allowed to do that, and we are not concerned that you will come to rip the kli, that you will come to rip the cloth. Rashi says, oh, very interesting, because even if it tears, lo no, we don't care, plus we learned this a little bit in as well, because the only time that korea is problematic is when, is when it's tearing with the intention to go ahead and sow, right? We learned that from where? From the Mishkan, the Malach of Korea, remember again, it was by the Urios, by the curtains. When would they tear? When there was a hole in it, they would make a larger tear so that they could sew it up more evenly. But there's also a great case with the cloth, because it's the Minchas Chinuch. says the Malach of Korea only applies to what? Luchazara? Soft materials. Excellent. And again, so that's why the case, so even if, even if the cloth ends up ripping, that's not called Korea. Beautiful. But say brings to an end that sogya. Mishnah. Vaod Amar Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer also said, Omer Adam al Hamoktzeh. Omer Adam al Hamoktzeh. Erev Shabbos B'Shviyas. Great case. A person stands by his Moktzeh. Now we'll say, now what's the Moktzeh in this particular case? So remember, Rashi says over here, how we could just go. So we're talking about, imagine the following situation. You spread out dates on your rooftop to dry out. That's the case of Mokta that we're talking about over here. And interestingly enough, the way, the way it works with the drying out of fruit, 
at least of dates, as the Gemara explains, is there's a certain period of time where they're inedible, right? So now here's what's happening over here. I spread out my dates on Erev Shabbos. And I say, and I say, and you're going to see, by the way, the reason, if, well, actually, let's take a look. The Mishnah setting this up as Erev Shabbos during a Shemitah year. During a Shemitah year, which is great, right? Why, why Erev Shabbos and a Shemitah year? Rashi says, She'ein ma'isr Rashi She'ein ma'isr nohigba. But say, remember again, ma'isr, right? The halachas of ma'isrs, trumas ma'isrs don't apply during Shemitah. Why not? Why not? Everything is hefker. Right? Remember again, Shumas Maestros is only a din by produce that you own. During Shemitah year, everything is hefker. So therefore, watch this. Shein Maestro no Igba, ve'in mechusar ela hazmano. Vo'adin b'mo'usar u'bishar shani shavua, ela archa demilsa nakit, t'stam mokza lav mo'usar hu, t'grogros v'tzimukim hein stam mokza. So we'll say, Rashi just points out over here, you're going to see the reason we're setting this up as a Shemitah year is because we don't want to deal with the issues of taking Trumas and Maestros on Shabbos, right? The truth is, Rashi says, you could also set this up as a case of fruit which was already tithed, right? But Rashi says, the reason why that's not such a Shayach case is because generally, when would people tithe their produce? Only when? Once it was fully finished. Because you're talking about a case of the fruit that was spread out to dry, that means it's not fully finished yet. So that's why the Mishnah sets this up as a case where I'm standing by my muktza. Muktza, remember again, in this case means the fruit that's spread out to dry on Erev Shabbos, which is a Shemitah year. So therefore, there's no issues of trumas and maestros over here. So watch this. I'm standing by my fruit, and what do I say? Va'omer, mikanani ochalamachar. And I make the declaration, I'm going to eat of this fruit tomorrow. And I identify, I'm going to eat of this with Rashi says, So remember, this is the position of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer says, all you need to do is make a declaration that says, I'm going to eat from some of this fruit tomorrow. Do you have to identify which fruit you're eating from? No, because Rabbi Eliezer holds, is, is right, Rabbi holds Islay Breira. He holds a Breira, retroactive clarification. So tomorrow when I eat from the fruit, it turns out that it's retroactively clarified that the fruit I eat from, I, I end up eating from, was the fruit I identified on Erev Yom Tiv. The Chachamim say, The Chachamim agree in principle that you could stand on Erev Shabbos by the Muktza, on the Erev Shabbos of a Shemitah year, and say from here I'm going to eat tomorrow, so you could prepare the fruit you're going to eat. But according to Chachamim, you can't rely on Breira, you have to actively identify the actual fruits you are going to eat from. Good. So we'll say, let's go back. It says, Great case. So we'll say, listen to the case. Children. We'll see why the Gemara is pointing this out with children. Children who went ahead and took figs. They will say, in this case, we're talking about fully developed fruits already. So they took figs. And they took figs on Erev Shabbos. They hid, they hid the figs. Right? The kids, they hid the figs. They're going to, because they said, you know what, we're going to eat from it on Shabbos. So they hid it. And they forgot and they did not go ahead and take Trumas and Maestros from the figs. What's that? Shabbos, lo yochlu, asru. On Matzi Shabbos, they cannot eat from the figs unless they first go ahead and take Meiser. Now look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, 
number of things that is happening over here. In general, you only have to take trumas and maestros from produce when? When it's fully processed, and also when it's coming to the home. When it's coming to the home. Now, so yes, that you need, right? Fully processed and what we call reias pene habayis ultimately comes into the home. Or Pinayachatzer, or comes into your chatzor as well. Now I will say, which, which means that even if you have fully, fully processed produce, but it has not yet come into your home, you could eat achilasara. You could snack from it, even though it hasn't been tithed, but you cannot eat achilas keva. You cannot eat a full meal from it. Now, here's what's fascinating. However, anything you eat on Shabbos, anything you eat on Shabbos, has the status of achilas keva, has the status of a meal, not of a snack. Therefore, on Shabbos, whatever you would have to eat on Shabbos would have to be tithed. Now remember, can you tithe on Shabbos? No. Which means that if you have fully, 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 um, what's the word? Fully processed produce on Erev Shabbos, even though it has not yet come into your home, you know you're going to eat of it on Shabbos, even though for you it's a snack. There's no snacking on Shabbos. It's all achilas keva. You would have to make sure to tithe it before Shabbos. Okay, so now watch. So the case over here, Abose, is you have children. And the reason Rashi says we choose children is to show that their das also has impact regarding Shumas So listen to the case. The case over here is kids took figs on Erev Shabbos. These figs did not have re'iyas p'nei right? They did not yet come into the home, which means that they were not yet technically chayiv in Shumas HaMaisras. But the kids had kavana to eat it on Shabbos. And because they were going to eat it on Shabbos, therefore what? Therefore what? That makes them, that generates a chiyuv for Shumas HaMaisras. They didn't eat it on Shabbos. They didn't eat it on Shabbos. What does the Bryce say? Even though they didn't eat it on Shabbos, if they want to eat it, must say Shabbos, what has to happen? They have to tithe it. Even though what? Even though what? There was not yet a re'iyas p'nei habayis. The kavana to eat it on Shabbos essentially generates the obligation to go ahead and take trumas and maestros. Incredible. Utnanami, also you can see, I, I said that's, that's, all, that's all of Rashi. Utnanami, we learned, hama'avir te'inim bechatsero liktsos banavu b'nebis. I'm sorry, liktsos. If a person went ahead and spread out Te'inim in his home, right? In his chatzar. To go ahead and dry them out. Rashi says, Liktos is liyavshon. Velatsos mehem ketzios. Ula'achar shenasu ketzios darsan bi'igo. So also, see, the idea over here is you want to go ahead and spread out figs in your, in your chatzar to dry out. Because you want to put dried figs, you want to you then press them into a cake of dried figs. Banov u'bnei beisa ochlan mehen arai u'pturin. Ultimately, what happens, Rabbi So because they're in the chatzar, see, even though they're in the chatzar now, but they're not finished. Because they're not fully processed, therefore what? You're permitted to eat from them achilas arai, a snack. So there's three core pieces of information over here. In order for produce to go ahead and become chayiv and shumas maestros, what has to happen? What has to happen? Two primary things. Fully processed and rias abayis. The exception to this rule is... Shabbos. Now, which means if you have fully processed produce and you want to eat it on Shabbos, you can't eat it unless it's tithed. Aye, there hasn't been re Remember, Shabbos 
essentially says that anything you eat on Shabbos is achilas keva and not achilas arai. It's not a snack, and therefore by definition requires shuma samaisers. So boy, meaning Rav Amirav Nachman, listen to this: Shabbos maushetikava moktzila maiser bedaver shlo nigmara malachto. Wow. We'll say, what happens if you have a food item on Shabbos that's not fully processed? It's not fully processed. So now I want to partake of it on Shabbos. Does Shabbos make it subject to trumas and maisrus, even though what? It's not yet fully processed. Since the Pasik says, you will call the Shabbos an Oneg, which I will say effectively teaches us. Look at Rashi. Look at Rashi. Because the Shabbos, Shabbos Oneg, Rashi's Kevan de Ikri Achila de De Oneg, Kava, Shein Baoshimarai. Since we say that every act of consumption on Shabbos is a Maisa Oneg, is a Maisa Oneg, is an act of enjoyment, therefore on Shabbos every single act of consumption has the status of Achilas Keva and not Achilas Arai. It's not a snack, it's a full-blown meal. And therefore, kava So therefore, maybe by Shabbos, Shabbos generates a meiser obligation, even for something that is not yet fully completed. Right? Because we'll see, you hear what's happening over here? Essentially, what the Gemara is suggesting is, maybe there's no such thing as snacking on Shabbos. The karasala Shabbos oneg, every act of consumption on Shabbos is substantive, and significant, which means that every act of consumption on Shabbos has the status of a se'uda, of a meal, of achilas keva. And therefore, by definition, you can't eat unless you first take trumas and maizers. Oh, Dilma, bedavr shenigmar malach to kava, bedavr shenigmar malach to kava, or perhaps no. As powerful as Shabbos is, Shabbos only has the ability to go ahead and generate an obligation for something that is fully processed. But if it's not fully processed, you cannot go ahead and yet generate the obligation for Trumas and Maisrus. Amrle, Shabbos Kovas, Bain Bedavar Shigmar Malachto, Bain Bedavar Shalom Nigmar Malachto. Wow. So Bosa, he responded. Remember again, this is Rabbo was asking, Nachan responded. The power of Shabbos is Shabbos creates a tithing obligation even if the food is not yet fully processed. Shabbos says, so for example, if you take a fig, if you take a fig that you had spread out to dry out and it's not yet dried out, so the process is not complete. During the week, can you snack from that even though trumas and have not been taken? Can you snack from it? Absolutely. That's talochah. You can snack. As long as it's not fully processed, you can snack from it. Shabbos, Rav Nachman is suggesting, Shabbos, there's no such thing as a snack. Everything is achilas keva. Everything is a substantive meal. And therefore, alochah you cannot eat from it on Shabbos unless it has been tithed. Which is another way of saying, Shabbos, Establishes the tithing obligation. I said back, maybe not. Maybe Shabbos should be just like the Chatzar. How so? Remember, remember we said that under general, right? Hilchas Trumas and Maestros 101, right? What generates an obligation for Trumas and Maestros? Only when what? There's a fully processed and Riyas Pnei Chatzar. I will say, if you bring something into your chatzar, but the item is not yet fully processed, does the chatzar generate a meister obligation on unfully processed foods? No. So I'd say maybe Shabbos like chatzar, just like chatzar only establishes tithing obligation for something that's nigmara malachto. Af Shabbos lo tikba, ela bedavr shigmar malachto. 
so too again Shabbos should only generate an obligation for something that is fully processed. No, we have an explicit ruling. What's the explicit ruling that we have? Shabbos kovaz bein b'davr shlingmer malachto bein b'davr shalot nigmer malachto. So he responded, we have a Masorah. This is a Masorah. What's the Masorah? The Masorah that traditionally have is that Shabbos establishes a tithing obligation for any type of food you're going to eat, even if the food is not fully processed, which I will say tells you that Shabbos is even stronger than Chatzar. Because your Chatzar, or even your bias, can only go ahead and generate the tithing obligation upon food that is fully processed. Shabbos is so powerful that Allah if you are going to partake of a food, even if it's not fully processed, Shabbos itself generates the tithing obligation. I will say again, incredible, incredible. Therefore, again, if you wanted to, so first of all, we see two things by Shabbos. Number one, by Shabbos, there's no such thing as a snack, right? Every single thing you eat on Shabbos has the status of a meal. The karasa the Shabbos oneg. Every every act of consumption, by definition, is oneg. That's number one. Number two, the Gemara says, the Masorah, we'll see if this is the Allah Chalamaisa, but the Masorah is that Allah Chalamaisa, Shabbos generates a tithing obligation, even on food that is not fully processed. And I both say, that's absolutely wild. Because in general, Hilchas Chumas Samaisus 101 is that there is only a tithing obligation upon food that is fully processed, has the Re'iyas Pnei'achatz This is an incredible Chiddush. That Shabbos is more powerful than your home. Shabbos is more powerful than your chutzr. Shabbos is more powerful than processing. Whatever you're going to partake of on Shabbos, if you're partaking of it, Shabbos makes it as if it is fully completed and therefore generates a tithing obligation. Rabbi, so we'll stop over here. We'll pick up with the Mirza Hashem, the Armar Zuch, Rav Nachman. We'll finish with the Sugya Mirza Hashem tomorrow and see the Halacha Lamaisa as well. Shkoyach. It seems to be it's a din in Trumas and Maestros. Not, not a din in, in, uh,